Blog Talk Radio. I'm a truth terrorist. I'm a knowledge gangster. I'm a black history hitman. I'm a lie killer, urban gorilla. I gotta be a rough nag. Free the black Panthers. FCBP. Stand for free the black Panthers. It's up the black police. That 13th Amendment. Trying to make a slave of me. You can like my body, can't trap my mind, not forever be free. Okay, free the Black Panthers, FCBP, stand for free the Black Panthers, and fuck the black police. Feds infiltrated our movement, the black leadership rose, but we still here, in the bill here, up coins, hell broke. Show, they got me started, lying hearted, I'm the new Mufasa. And I'm all about Umoja, first in Guzu Saba. Let's bring back the black families, we need our father. Single mama, son and daughter, that's root of the problem. Wise up, we wise up. Unity is so powerful. Black banks, black schools, black gone, black power moves. You tell a lie, you think this shit won't be televised. Black power, be scared guys, that be standing there like they paralyzed. Huh? We say fuck the system, cause we above the system. We keep ARs and pistols, shotguns that's worth a crystal. But that's for self-defense, make sure we have no issues. Be sure to leave it at the door if you have it with you. This for them freedom fighters that lost their freedom. Until they freedom, we screaming carpe diem. This for the general. King Khalid Muhammad, we gon' make your day a holiday, I fuck me promise. Free the Black Panthers, FCBP, stand for free the Black Panthers, and fuck the Black Police, that 13th Amendment, tryna make a slave of me, you can like my body, can't trap my mind, not forever be free, okay, free the Black Panthers, FCBP, stand for free the Black Panthers, and fuck the Black Police, Feds infiltrated our movement, the black leadership rose, but we still here, in the bill here, up coins, hell broke. RBG, RBG, R- Calling uh, Chair Moore. Present. Chair Moore is present. Vice Chair Brown. Vice Chair Brown is present. Uh, Member Bradford. Member Bradford is present. Member Grills. Member Grills is present. Member Holder. Member Holder is present. Uh, Member uh, Jones Sawyer. Member Jones Sawyer is present. Member Lewis. Member Lewis is present. Member Montgomery Stepp. Member Montgomery Stepp is present. And Member Tamaki. Member Tamaki is present. Did I leave anyone out? Okay. Madam Chair, there are nine members on the task force. There are five that are needed uh, for a quorum, and there are nine members present. A quorum has been reestablished. We will return to business. So the next item on the agenda is action item number five. Final discussion and vote on the full final report, part one, detail of historical atrocities. Is there any um, additions, changes, or discussion around um, action item number five? Uh, before we...
compromise. Thank, thank you, Madam Chair, members of the task force, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I beg your indulgence that I would make a very direct comment here. For I feel that I could not and must not leave this assemblage in good conscience without expressing as a human being, a pastor, and a civil rights activist for nearly 70 years. It was 62 years ago that I spent time in jail in Jackson, Mississippi. Why? Because when I went to the University of Mississippi Hospital to take my 85-year-old neighbor to the emergency room, a young white doctor came out with his stethoscope in his hand and Joe jivingly said, what's wrong with that boy? And immediately, the prophet Amos came up in me. And I looked him dead in the eyes. I said, what's wrong with you? Can't you see that this is a man and not a boy? And this young man, with his bad manners, said, I know what it is. I retorted to him, well, your insistence on calling this gentleman a boy on it is just a byproduct of stupidity. And when the nurse called the police to deal with this smart Negro, the sheriff came with the chief of police. They both looked at me and looked at the nurse and said, what are we going to get him on this time? You know what they said? We're going to arrest him for using profanity in public. It was profane in Mississippi for an 85-year-old man to be called a man. Why do I cite all of this? I just could not keep quiet for what I heard this morning. For silence does make, as they say, a statement of consent. Finally, for the record, I want the world to know. Even though we have free speech, but it was uncivilized, uncouth, and disrespectful. 
for Bishop Williams. I wish he were here still to have made that unsavory, ungentlemanlike comment this morning, and you all heard it. Yes, I know we're upset. And we're angry about what this nation has done and what the world has done because of the color of our skin. But I also know that one great philosopher said, he or she whom the gods would destroy, they first make mad. And I trust that in the subsequent proceedings of this task force, that this body, whoever's here, rise up in righteous indignation to hear such verbiage as came out of Bishop Williams' mouth insulting the integrity, the personhood of a lady, the vice president of this nation. My mama taught me when I left home always Amos, behave. Don't take anything that doesn't belong to you. Don't ask for anything. Let them offer it to you and be kind. Thank you, Madam Chair. So let us be kind. We don't need to be just mad. But we ought to have righteous indignation for what this nation has done to us. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Dr. Brown. So now we'll turn to action item number five, final discussion and vote on the full final report, part one. Detail of historical atrocities. I'll turn to Senator Bradford. If that's the appropriate time at this time. Uh, but first, let me start out by thanking um, this task force and all the staff at DOJ for the work, the tireless work uh, that we have done for the last two years to bring us to this process and to culminate a final report. The final report will include uh, 95 recommendations that will serve as the basis for deciding what reparations may ultimately look like once they're interpreted and approved by the legislature and the governor. With the process ahead of us, it is important that the intent of the recommendations as approved by the task force be very clear. As a body, we spent numerous hours debating and wordsmithing the recommendations. And while these may be clear to the members of this task force and the DOJ staff, it may not be clear to others who are reading the recommendations for the first time. Prior to the release of the task force interim report, the DOJ staff was allowed to do final review of the interim report recommendations and to provide edits that made the recommendations more succinct and to the point. This was done without changing the intent of the recommendations approved by the task force. It, I would uh, like to propose the same opportunity to be authorized in working in conjunction with both uh, Assemblyman Jones, so your staff and my staff to give editorial discretion and uh, working with the DOJ to make those reports specifically, I mean, uh, make those uh, edits, I should say, 
specifically authorize Department of Justice staff to edit and make recommendations that will include the final reparations task force report, more succinct and to the point, so that the intent will be clear to those in the legislature who will be charged with analyzing and approving the policies. So I would hope that's a motion I would like to put forward. There's a second. It has, I heard you. It's been moved by Senator Stephen Bradford and seconded by Member Tamaki um, that um, there be a committee, advisory committee comprising of Senator Bradford and Reggie Jones-Sawyer who will work with the DOJ to finalize um, the report and make sure that it's succinct as possible as it relates to the intent of what we decided in March 2022. Is that a, a good um, synopsis of of the motion? Yeah, I, I think process that we did on the interim report. So, okay. Yeah. Is there any discussion on the matter? Could you state the motion one more time, please? Can you restate it, Senator Bradford, please? That again, uh, the DOJ staff will have discretion to edit in a similar fashion that they did on the interim report, working with both. Assemblyman Jones, so your staff and my staff as well to make sure it's something that will be acceptable by the legislature in order to move forward to the governor's test. In terms of discussion, can you describe, since this process has already happened in the past, can you um, give a synopsis of what that process was like for the interim report? What did it entail? Just works, making sure that we made it very succinct in a legislative process that something that you can move into final legislation or bill because, again, we can throw a whole lot of things out there, but in order to get legislation done, it has to be very succinct, drilled down to the point. So that's all. We just want to make sure that we wordsmith it as best as possible so it's deliverable and where Ledge Council is agreeable with it as well. Any other questions, comments? Hearing none, I'll turn to Parliamentarian Johnson for a roll call vote. Aye. Aye. I didn't vote. I, I'm sorry. I thought I did. Um, I apologize. Uh, Member Tamaki. Yes. Member Tamaki votes aye. Uh, Madam Chair, there are nine members present in voting. There were nine ayes, zero nays, and zero abstentions. Thank you. So now we'll return to the action item 
actually on the agenda, which is action item number five. Um, so are there any questions, comments um, related to this action item? Okay, I have one um, comment. Uh, so um, in preparing for this penultimate meeting, I reviewed all of the meeting minutes for the past two years, so for the past 15 hearings. Um, just prefacing that. Um, so the um, comment that I have uh, relates to uh, page 39 of the interim report. Um, so I spoke to the DOJ about this in April of last year. On page 39, there is a sentence that reads, name changes, destruction of culture, inaccurate records, forced family separation, and other consequences of 400 years of racial oppression make it extremely difficult to trace which black individuals living today are American descendants of people who were enslaved. Um, I raised this concern with this particular sentence again with the California DOJ uh, last year before our April hearing in San Francisco, um, noting that this particular sentence has no citation. The task force did not come up with that conclusion, um, and I noted that this sentence needs to be taken out entirely. Um, a great number of African Americans can trace their lineage to the period of enslavement, uh, with technology today, it's easier than ever before, or to an ancestor living to the period um, in the South prior to 1900, which is a rebuttable presumption um, of being a descendant of slaves, as mentioned by one of our expert witnesses, Dr. Evelyn McDowell. Also, an African-American reader of this report may also, may also find this particular sentence um, highly offensive and culturally insensitive. Um, as it also goes against the majority of expert testimony on the issue. Um, and so in raising that concern with the California DOJ before our April hearing, I asked um, if I needed to raise that concern in the public at the April hearing, and I got confirmation via email stating the following. I do recall your request to delete the reference below from the text, I'm going to look into what happened and why it was not omitted from the final copy of the interim report. I will also inquire about whether we can make the change now, as well as add any additional acknowledgments to the report, or if we must wait until the final draft to make any additional edits. Further, the California DOJ stated via email, I was able to get some further clarification on this issue. As you know, there were several versions of the report flying back and forth between task force members and DOJ staff. Apparently, the sentence you referenced was located in two different places within the report. One was deleted from page 453, but the other one on page 39 slipped by. I'm informed that there are some additional fixes being made to the report. I will flag this one and provide to the advisory committee the additional acknowledgments you requested. So summarizing um, in this reproduction of the interim report, that problematic sentence is still in um, the, this draft section. Um, raised the issue again in pre preliminary meetings with the DOJ about this, about let's just delete it. Um, however, they requested that I make um, this concern known to the public and entertain a motion to formally delete this sentence out of the report. Page 39 of the interim report. 
It, sure, I'll have to pull it up. Third paragraph. And um, I mean, I'll, I'll speak of when it comes to action item 10, um, where I am going to entertain a motion that we do have an independent section for the community of eligibility. Um, and when we get there, I will um, explain uh, why. Um, but I think that um, in that community of eligibility section, that would be the appropriate section um, to chronicle this 10-month-long debate um, that we had that led up to the majority of us voting in favor of lineage. Um, I think it's appropriate um, for um, you know, task force members' concerns around that, around that decision uh, to be um, you know, memorialized in some sense in that particular section, uh, but we did not come up with the conclusion that tracing, difficult, tracing lineage is difficult. Member Girls, you recognize. Uh, so I, I, I appreciate your, your concern, um, but I think perhaps it may go a little too far. I, I wouldn't recommend removing it, but perhaps softening some of the language, because the truth is, well, there's a couple of issues here. One, we've never tried to really trace the lineage for a large proportion of African Americans in this country. So we don't know fully how easy or difficult it really is. Second, the, the, there is the reality that records have been burned and destroyed in courthouses that burned down, that records were not kept um, accurately and consistently from certain parts of the country, certain states, certain counties, etc. So at the end of the day, for some people, it is in fact difficult to have to, to find records to substantiate one's lineage. So perhaps that the, rather than removing it because it does in fact reflect the experience for some of us, that the language be that and other consequences of 400 years of racial oppression make it difficult for some to trace which. I think that's a fairer statement than completely removing it. So again, if that would be the change, there, it would have to be followed up with a citation. Do you have a citation in mind? Do you have a citation in mind that says that it's not, it's not difficult for anyone? Yes, yeah, that's exactly why I followed up by saying that we need to have an independent section on the community of eligibility that chronicles the debate that we had over 10 months where both sides, so to speak, if you want to characterize it as such, can be memorialized in that particular section, and the citations could be uh, the expert witnesses and personal witnesses that gave testimony in February 22 and March 2022. Right. We didn't really have a full discussion on the issue um, because, well, there, we ran out of time, frankly. So um, oh, we did. We did, because initially we were going to vote on lineage eligibility in February 2022, and again, I read the minutes for the past two years. Um, it was then pushed to March 2022. So we had two full hearings on um, deciding on who should be eligible, but even prior to that, we've had debates and discussions on the community of eligibility as, a fix as official discussion items on the agenda. Member Holder, you're recognized. Call for the question. Question is called. There's no 
There was no motion made, so. Well, there was no motion made on this section. Again, I'm calling to entertain a motion to delete um, that sentence from page mm -hmm. 39, as it was already deleted in another section in the report last year. So I'm calling for it to be fully deleted. And then on top of that, I'm asking for an independent section on eligibility where um, the debate um, on eligibility will be chronicled and memorialized. And that section would have um, the background of eligibility, um, a description of our decision, and rationale. So just to just briefly summarize for now, I'm entertain I want to entertain a motion to delete the sentence from page 39 as the DOJ already deleted that same sentence from another part of the report last year. So we need to complete that by deleting um, the sentence on page 39. You want to entertain a motion on that? Sure. Name changes, destruction of culture, inaccurate records, forced family separation, and other consequences, consequences of 400 years of racial oppression make it extremely difficult to trace which black individuals living today are American descendants of people who were enslaved. Name changes, destruction of culture, inaccurate records, forced family separation, and other consequences of 400 years of racial oppression make it extremely difficult to trace which black individuals living today are American descendants of people who were enslaved. And again, the California DOJ wrote via email, um, that sentence was deleted from page 40, 453, but the other one on page 39 slipped by. sentence from page 39. It has been properly moved by member Scott Lewis and properly seconded by member Montgomery Stepp uh, that um, the aforementioned sentence, name changes, destruction of culture, inaccurate records, forced family separation, and other consequences of 400 years of racial oppression make it extremely difficult to trace which black individuals living today are American descendants of people who were enslaved. Is deleted from page 39 as it was already deleted on page 453. Is there a discussion on the matter? Yeah, I just want clarity. Um, the motion or suggestion that Dr. Grills uh, made, does that not capture a more inclusive approach to this? No, it doesn't. And my suggestion, which will come in action item 10, is actually, it would actually support what Dr. Grills is saying in that if that is the opinion of any individual task force member or any personal or expert witnesses that we've invited, that's fine. Put that in its own independent section where that you know, history of our debate over the past two years is in that section. But we didn't come to a conclusion that that is difficult to trace. It's already been deleted in one part of our report into the California DOJ's admittance. They were going to delete it on page 39, but it slipped by. So it has no need to be in there. So is the DOJ saying they missed that in the initial report, or was it intentionally left in there, in that section?
Is it on? Okay, sorry. Um, the uh, line that was referenced in the report, um, and I'm, I don't recall the timing of it, I think it had to do with various direction that was coming to us in terms of what needed to be included. I recall we did delete uh, one, of those one of those lines uh, on the page that was referenced. Um, sitting here, I don't have an independent recall as to why the other one didn't get deleted, whether it was a matter of timing because it had already gone to print or for some other reason, uh, but I, 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 I'm not able to say. Is there any other discussion on so the matter? So would leaving it in create conflict to what our intentions are, or does removing it bring us more clarity? Who are you directing that I'm to? I'm to DOJ. There's, there's nothing else in the report that contradicts that statement. Uh, it, would, it, it currently stands on its own in, in the place that it's in. Uh, member Joe Sawyer, you're recognized. Um, I do remember this conversation. Um, I do remember there was a discussion, because I think I brought it up, about individuals who are in the foster care system or individuals who are homeless or individuals who just don't have the financial capability to be able to find out their ancestry. Um, and that that is a fact <laughs> that it would be difficult for some individuals. I think the statement is just acknowledging that for some, as Dr. Grill said, for some it may be difficult. It's just acknowledging a fact. I don't. And if it, if if according to the chair. If no member brought it up, I would say that's inaccurate, because I did. And then two, if the chair is saying that all it takes is one member to bring it up, then I will say it again, that that statement is just a statement of accuracy um, in that it is not definitive that every African American in the state of California can find out how far their lineage goes back. Um, it's not going to be easy for everyone, and we need to acknowledge that. And I think that's all it's doing. It's not saying it can't be done, and it's not saying that it can't be done before everyone. I think it kind of expresses the challenges of it and why Mr. Bradford and I may need a statement like that. If we need to provide funding or if we need to provide technical assistance, if we need to provide whatever it takes to ensure that every descendant of slave can trace their heritage and that California may have to help with that, we may need that statement in there. Otherwise, it gives the impression that anyone who believes they're a descendant of slave can easily um, find out who they are. And then when they come and try to verify so they can get their reparations, they're turned back because they don't meet a threshold that is set forth um, by California to reach that. And so uh, I, I think it's really important that we acknowledge it so that we can make sure that everyone, that we don't leave anyone behind that is deserving of reparations that fall in this category. Thank you, Member John Sawyer. 
Uh, Member Scott Lewis, you're recognized. Thank you, Chair Moore. So I, there are a couple of things. For me, you know, I, I recognize that this is a very strong claim that being made in this section um, that is about immigration and migration patterns, you know, should be cited pro appropriately. Um, it's a very meaningful claim with significant consequences. Um, and when I say significant consequences, those consequences include um, the, <coughs> the sense of identity of African Americans who descend from slavery, as well as the, the request or the recommendation that we are making in another section of the, the final recommendations for the, the, um, the agency. And so I think there is, there is something to be said for what the role of this statement in this section is and what it does. And I don't find it to be a terribly effective or useful statement in this section. I think it's appropriate for us to talk about the challenges that some individuals may face in tracing their lineage. And that is why we are advocating or recommending that there be an agency to help with that. But I think what this does is it, in an, and I said, and I made a comment about this well over a year ago, that there is a very dangerous, pernicious myth that African Americans who descend from slavery don't come from somewhere, don't come from people. Mm. And there is something really dangerous about even subtly perpetuating this myth yeah. that people cannot establish from where and from whom they are from. That is the, for me, that is the basis of what we're doing here. It is the basis of recognition. And, and I appreciate that. But, so I, I, I think, you know, there's a reason why we are advocating for the development of an agency where we have written that part of the job of that agency would be to help people determine this. And I think there is something about it being located in this, which is a, a, a section on immigration and migration patterns, right, that is then immediately followed about, you know, that by 2060, right, the black foreign-born population is projected to make up about one-third of the U.S. black population. There's something in there that does, doesn't actually sit quite, quite well with me, if I'm being honest. And I, and I, and I appreciate you, uh, you know, Chair Moore, for bringing this, to, you know, um, bringing this up. Um, there is a, an appropriate place for us to talk about the challenges of tracing lineage. And, and we recognize that. We understand that. And for all the reasons that you and, 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 and Professor Grills bring up, um, I don't think it belongs here because it's out of context here. Is there any other discussion on the matter? Call question is called. I'll turn to Parliamentarian Johnson for roll call vote. I will begin the roll call beginning with the chairman, uh, Chair Moore. Aye. Chair Moore votes aye. Vice Chair Brown. Aye. Vice Chair Brown votes aye. Member Bradford. Member Bradford? Abstain. Abstain. Member Grills? No. Member Grills votes no. no. Member Holder? No. 
Member Holder abstains. Member Jones-Sawyer? No. Member Jones-Sawyer votes no. Member Lewis? Yes. Member Lewis votes aye. Member Montgomery Step? Aye. Member Montgomery Step votes aye. Member Tamaki? Aye. Member Tamaki uh, votes aye. Madam Chair, there were nine members present and voting. There were four ayes, two abstentions, and that is correct. There are five ayes, there are two abstentions, and two nays. Thank you, Parliamentarian Johnson. There are five ayes, two abstentions, and two nays. The ayes have it, and the motion carries. Um, uh, is there any other um, comments related to this particular action item? Again, part one, detail of historical atrocities, um, which is essentially chapters one uh, through 13 of you know, the interim report that will be reproduced um, in our final report. Hearing none, I will turn to uh, the next action item. Huh? Oh, right, yeah, sure. Sure, so now we will uh, vote on the main item, which is um, final discussion and vote on full final report, part one, detail of historical atrocities. It's been moved, is there a second? It's been properly moved by Member Montgomery Stepp and properly seconded by Senator Stephen Bradford uh, to approve part one, detail of historical atrocities. Is there any discussion on the matter? Hearing none, I'll turn to Parliamentarian Johnson for a roll call vote. Thank you. I will begin with uh, Chair Moore. Aye. Chair Moore votes aye. Vice Chair Brown? Aye. Vice Chair Brown votes aye. My, uh, Member Bradford? Aye. Member Bradford votes aye. Uh, Member Grills? Aye. Member Grills votes aye. Member Holder? Member Holder votes aye. Member Jones Sawyer? I'm sorry? Not voting. Member Lewis? Member Lewis votes aye. Member Montgomery Step? Member Montgomery Step votes aye. Member Tamaki? Member Tamaki votes aye. Madam Chair, there are nine members present and voting. There are eight ayes, one not voting or abstention. Thank you. There are eight ayes, one abstention, and thus the ayes have it and the motion carries. We have finalized uh, part one um, of the full final report, Detail of Historical Atrocities, as amended. So the next item on the agenda is final discussion and vote on the full final report, part two, International Reparations Framework and Examples of Other Reparation Schemes. Are there any comments, questions related to this 
section of the report. And I'll start off by saying thank you to the California DOJ for, I think I said this at the other hearing, but adding the genocide section. Um, it's very comprehensive, um, and thank you for that. Any other comments, questions? So I have a comment. Um, so in this, in this section, um, the international reparations framework, um, the, in this section, this is really about the international reparations framework. However, there is a section in this report around the domestic history of the reparations movement as it, as it relates to African Americans. Um, when I read through this particular section, um, that part did seem to feel misplaced. Um, and so um, I think that it would be good if we entertain a motion uh, to move um, the examples of other international repertory efforts to Chapter 14 that encompasses the international reparations framework and um, the section that's on the history of the reparations movement be taken out of the section of the International Reparations Framework, and it is in its own separate section, Chapter 15, which would be our ch new chapter on the community of eligibility. So again, as of right now, when you read um, the International Reparations Framework and examples of other reparation schemes, again, it gives you an overview of the international reparation standards. It gives you the example of, of international reparations examples, and then it talks about the history of the reparations movement in the United States as it relates to African Americans. Um, I think that particular section around the history of the reparations movement um, in the United States for African Americans needs to be pulled out into its own chapter that will then be the chapter on the community of eligibility. And that background, I mean, that part that's already in this report, that will be the background for the community of eligibility section then there will, be have, there will have to be a description on how we decided um, who should be eligible and then a rationale. So just to be um, clear, more clear, um, entertaining a motion for Chapter 14 to only include the international reparations framework and examples of other international reparation schemes. Taking out the section on the history of reparations movement for African Americans that cites people like, dis, like enslaved people themselves, like Belinda Sutton, Callie House, descendants of slaves like Queen Mother Moore. That's an amazing section written by the DOJ. That should serve as the first or the introduction section to our new community of eligibility um, chapter. Um, so again, I'm gonna stop here, <laughs> but in my opinion, there should be, chapter 14 should only focus on international law the International Reparations Framework and examples of other reparation schemes internationally, taking out that section on the history of the reparations movement in the United States, putting it in its own um, chapter. Uh, Senator Bradford. Yeah, I just got a little concerned with that because I think doing that makes the assumption that there's going to be a new chapter of eligibility. Shouldn't you have to do that first? You would have to first establish a new chapter before you could take the actions that you're asking for at this point. 
Oh, sure. So, so go ahead and bring it up on action item 10, because I personally thought that would, more, would be more relevant to do that, but to your point, I take um, uh, heed to what you're saying. I think you're correct. So I think the first motion should be to entertain a motion to create a new chapter on eligibility. And again, reading the minutes from the past two years, our first hearing, June 2021, we voted on the structure and the contents of not only the interim report, but also the final report. And in the final report, there is supposed to be already a section on eligibility. And out of report one and report two, all of the sections are in this draft final report except for eligibility. Eligibility is not in the draft final report, even though June 2021 at our first meeting, we said that that was going to be in the report before we even knew who was going to be eligible. Before we even made that decision, we said that that is going to have its own standalone section. But as it stands right now, there is no chapter on eligibility. So the motion should be to um, have a new chapter on eligibility as we voted on June 2021. And technically, it's not necessarily new because, again, we voted in June 2021 that our final report would have a section on eligibility. So, I mean, in terms of discussion, I entertain a motion to, as voted on in June 2021, have a chapter on eligibility. And as noted, the, the determination of eligibility is one of the most important decisions the task force made, and it will be very important to upcoming legislation. Um, as such, um, a more thorough account of the recommendation, recommendation on eligibility in the report is necessary. Um, the section, again, as I said earlier, should include a background on the decision, uh, the description of the decision, and a rationale for the decision. And my point is the rationale for the decision already exists in this final draft, but it's in the section under international reparations with the tab, the history of the reparations movement in the United States. My point is that there needs to be a chapter on eligibility. The rationale is already in there. And all we would have to do for this chapter would be to include a background on the decision. That would include um, you know, comments from task force members um, about their thoughts. It would include citations from you know, our personal and expert witnesses, um, and then it will include a description of the decision that we made in March 2022. And that way everybody is satisfied because everyone's thoughts and opinions will be reflected in this chapter on eligibility. Uh, Member Montgomery, step your recognized. I just, I just have a question to the DOJ. Um, since it was in that original framework that we voted on, was there um, internally, was there any reason why that was not included? 
my understanding is that in June of 2021, which was the first meeting, that there was no established format to the report. So there would not have been any vote to establish a section of a report when no sections of the report had been established at that time. I don't know if there were any discussions about um, simply acknowledging whatever the community eligibility would be in a report, uh, but there was not a decision made to establish an entire section dedicated to that point. Can the DOJ please pull up pages five and six of the June 1, 2021 meeting minutes? Pages five and six. Before we do that, the task force has voted already on the format of the report. It's been voted on several times. And so if there is going to be a change to that format, then there would have to be a two-thirds majority vote to reorganize the report to include this section. Again. Madam Chair. Mm -hmm. Can you please pull up pages five and six of the June 2021 meeting minutes? Vice Chair Brown, you're recognized. In public testimony, there has been um, a matter raised about there being more clarity around eligibility. So what is the problem? My comment was that there has been, during public testimony, pointed questions regarding there being more clarity around this issue of eligibility. So why, why are we quibbling about it? Department of Justice? Why would we be quibbling about this? There, there, I don't think there's any quibbling. We, the DOJ takes direction based on votes. So if there's a vote to do something, that's the direction that we take. We don't sift through comments that are made throughout the meetings and intersperse them you know, in, in terms of how we, t we move forward in, in drafting the minutes. And I think that's the point uh, on this particular section. We're, we're pulling up the minutes now to see if they reflect a vote on the pages that Chair Moore referenced. Thank you. Member Girls, you're recognized. And no one made a motion, then shan't we move on? I was about to make a motion. Yeah, he was about to make a motion, and then Member Montgomery Step had a question to the California DOJ. Okay, well then let's do the motion. Ma'am Chair, I, I move that we include yeah. that. Have you ready for a motion? Yeah, but I, I want people to see pages five and six of the meeting minutes because we made a vote on that, and, I w and the meeting minutes are very clear. It says, the staff recommended that the report be issued in two parts. Part one of the report would be published June 1, 2022. Part two of the report would be published by July 1, 2023. Now, I'm going to read the contents of part one and part two. All the contents of part one are in the interim report. The following topics would be included in part two. An apology, that's in the final draft. 
International law justification, that's in the final draft. Economic rationale, that's in the final draft. Eligibility, not in the final draft. Summary of existing reparation schemes, that's in the final draft. Recommendations, that's in the final draft. How to educate the California population, that's the final draft. Out of all the contents we voted on having in part one and part two, the only section that's not in the final draft is on eligibility. I just, I, I see the citation that you're referencing. The minutes reflect that the following topics would be included. Eligibility is a topic. It's not a section. It's not a chapter. It is included throughout the report, um, and we do discuss eligibility throughout the report, just like we discuss health, international law justifications, all of those different topics are covered in the report. So the vote that took place subsequent to this June meeting was to organize the report according to parts, according to chapters. That has been voted on several times. At no point was there a request to make eligibility a, its own section or its own chapter. But what has been done in accordance with the June 2021 20, minutes is that the topic of the community of eligibility has been covered throughout the report. As of right now, as of right now, eligibility is referenced in a footnote. And if you look at this, right, these bullet points, each of the bullet points represents a standalone chapter of report one and report two, right? So any reasonable person would look at that and see that eligibility, as all the other topics, would have to have a standalone chapter as well. I think it would be appropriate if the task force chooses to vote on establishing, if that is the will of the task force, but again, that was not the direction that we received and the, subs the votes that took place that established the structure of the report in all of the preceding meetings never included its own chapter or its own part. So we were following the directive of the task force and the votes that were taken when we structured it the way that we did. Thank you, Attorney Brown. So again, I'd like to entertain a motion to have a standalone chapter for eligibility. As I move that we, I move that we include a standalone chapter. That's clear, patently clear, direct, and definitely understood by the general public. Is, is there a second? Okay. So it has been properly moved by Vice Chair Brown and properly seconded by Member Montgomery Stepp that there be a standalone chapter on the community of eligibility. Parliamentarian Johnson, you recognize. I'm sorry, yes. Okay, so in order to affect what you're seeking to do, you need to re do a reconsideration of the action that was previously taken. In order to do that, you make a motion for reconsideration and then, uh, I'm sorry, rescission, rescission, because it was already made, and it was made at a prior meeting, so you cannot do it at the same meeting you're voting on. Okay, but we you, can do but that. Wait, what you can move to do the, you know, to do the, um, the rescission 
of the last action. And after you do that, because it wasn't noticed, it's not on the agenda, it would have to be set. And so you would have to call, and you can do that, another meeting for, because you may have more than just this. So, you know, you're going to have to put that down for another meeting. But the first step is to get the two-thirds vote in order to take the action that you're seeking. We, we, um, Senator Bradford's motion to create an advisory committee, that wasn't on the agenda either. Pardon me? The, the earlier motion that Senator Bradford introduced around creating a committee to work with the DOJ to have discretion on finalizing the contents of the report, that wasn't in uh, on this agenda. I'm if, making a note to you on that. Okay, okay I want to make a note aside. back. <laughs> mm -hmm. At the time that was done, the motion that was up was with regard to article, I'm sorry, uh, the action number five. If you look at the motion, that's what was made. That was a motion that was made. Then to that motion, he moved to have the editorial team address that motion, and he said, and all others. So it was encaptured in that. This is not that. This is a separate item, and it, it is, I'm not sure, but it would seem to me this could come up more than once, as you may have other actions that you're going to address. So what you're doing is you're asking to reconsider or rescind an action that was previously made. And you can, you can't, you know, I'm not saying you can't do it because you can. The vote has to be there. And if once that's voted on, then you take the next step in making sure that uh, everyone, first of all, they have the document. And you're talking about an entire criteria which has to go to the public. You can't just do it, in, you know, here with one person seeing it. Not only do you have to see it, but all of the members of the task force must be aware of it, must be noticed of what it is that you're including in eligibility. The public has to be made aware of it as well so that they know that when it's going to be discussed in terms of those eligibility factors, that they have an opportunity to be heard as well. Mm -hmm. Parliamentarian Johnson. So, again, that June 2021 vote, that was a vote. We never did a motion to rescind that June 2021 vote. The last motion you did, you did a motion to reconsideration, which you can do at the same meeting when the original vote takes place. This happened, as you said, I believe April? I'm not sure when, but it was not today. So you have to, I mean, this is the procedure. If that's what you have, you know, what you have to do. Hmm? Member Montgomery, step you're recognized. Uh, I, I'm looking at those minutes and in part one, we did decide on what the, what the chapters would be but it also describes what turned into chapters as topics for part one. And so the only, out of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 bullet points, the only one that doesn't have a chapter is eligibility. They're all, they, they all have, they all, and, and the only reason why I'm bringing it up because there was an argument made, or not an argument, but a, a point made that the topics are not necessarily chapters, but they're all chapters uh, with all the bullet points. And so 
I don't, I don't, you know, I, I wish we didn't have to go back to the drawing board, um, but th this, you know, we did vote on this, and the way that it seemed to, to have been interpreted back then is what our report looks like now, except for eligibility. Hello. Um, I understand how there may be uh, divergent thinking on this. Again, the topics that were listed there are the topics. This task force has voted at least three times on the structure of the report. At no point did any task force member say, we're missing an eligibility chapter or part, we need to include it. So what you have before you is what you have voted on three times. And if you would like to reconsider that, you are, as Dereth, I'm sorry, Parliamentarian Johnson indicated, you do have that right, uh, but it would require you to rescind your prior vote on the organization of this report. And once that motion is approved with the two-thirds majority, a subsequent motion can be made to include that. But to, again, to Parliamentarian uh, Johnson's point, uh, we cannot draft a an entire chapter without the task force's approval of that, which would have to be duly noticed and voted upon in a subsequent meeting. So that would be the exactly. procedure, not to say that it can't be done, right. but it has to be done in that, in that way. That, that part, I, I do understand that, and I get the procedural part, but looking at the minutes, that's what the minutes say. And so I don't know, it, it, which is why I asked the original question, I don't know how that decision was made. Like you said, it came before us and we voted on it. Um, but but the, most of our conversation in these last two years has been about eligibility. And, and I also think for purposes of the historical record to capture that conversation is going to be important for the nation um, as they're going to, to look at it. So. If it was something we missed, that's fine. I can accept that. Um, but in the minutes, every other, every other bullet point has a chapter, except for that one. Yes, Member Tamaki, you're recognized. So thank you. Um, Member Montgomery step for that. <clears throat> I could just tell you how I sort of interpreted the whole thing. It was pretty clear from March of 2022 um, what the requirements were in connection with lineage. And I, I don't know how that was approached by other members, but I reviewed um, hundreds, literally hundreds of pages of proposals for repair as well as the interim report. And the sort of wrapper and filter and screen that I used was, was lineage. So for instance, on health and education, to the extent it was practical, I tried to basically um, apply that. And, and uh, I think there are many areas in each of the proposals actually where it says exclusively on monetary and monetary equivalent reparations. You know, not only cash, but then tuition, loan assistance, tax exemptions, all of that stuff is clearly defendants. So I didn't expect a separate chapter. Um, and so when we, we've had these proposals for literally months, a 
Okay, every, and for each hearing, we, we read them again. They were sort of modified, they were edited, but that uh, descendancy lineage issue was infused in every single proposal. So I did not expect this and to have a separate chapter. And so um, I'm just concerned about timing. And your point is well taken. I, I understand what the point that the chair is making. I don't want to diminish that. But we are supposed to be down to the final nits of this. And that to me means non-substantive changes. And the reason is we have to get this approved. It then goes to a formatting and then a printer. And when, then, when the final report, which will be easily in excess of 1,000 pages, is presented to the, to the legislature at the end of June, it's not like we're going to go on. We are done. I mean, we, we no longer exist as a body. So literally, we are, we are, as a practical matter, out of time. So we've had these proposals for months. That was my interpretation, that lineage would be applied throughout. And I did that on the chapters that I read. And I was with Pastor Brown uh, overseeing education and health care in particular. But I, but I applied that to the other proposals as well. And I thought we did that pretty faithfully. Uh, I like this report. I think it's well balanced. I think it recognizes the harm to uh, descendants and uh, directs compensation in that direction. Um, and I think the policy proposals also uh, apply special emphasis uh, to descendants. And so I'm struggling with how we do this, really. I mean, I don't know, you know, I, I get the point about, you know, it would be nice to have a standalone chapter, but I wish this had been raised like nine months ago. And so, uh, and now we're basically up, a up against a legislative deadline where legally speaking, we will no longer exist. So. Vice, oh, wait, let's, um, okay, everyone, okay, Vice Chair Brown, you're recognized, and then we'll turn to uh, Member Jovan Scott-Lewis, thank you. An old preacher in Mississippi said, who never gone to Harvard, Morehouse, or Stanford, there's one room that's never filled, and that is the room for improvement. There's one room that's never filled, and that's the room for improvement. And I feel it to be personally disingenuous for us to sit up here after having listened with these ears to the public, and there was continuously the question raised about the need for clarity around eligibility. Now, if we can't deal with that, there's a cat on the line somewhere. Big old cat. Member Scott Lewis, you recognize. I for the question. Hello. Um, thank you, Chair Moore, for the recognition. I, I want to just respond to uh, Member Montgomery's step. 
as to why we may have gotten here in this way. Throughout AB 3121, the question of eligibility in every instance is directly tied to compensation. In the instances where the question of eligibility has been asked of the task force to answer, as part of our duties, it is explicitly asked in relationship to compensation. Who will be eligible for compensation? And so, in the compensation chapter, the recommendations that the economists have worked on, there right, was a need at last meeting for further clarification, more declarative, a more declarative statement as to who we were talking about. And I ask that we also clarify when we're talking about beneficiary-driven policies and programs that we make very clear that those beneficiary-driven policies and programs are directed towards the eligible community that we defined. And so I've, I'm trying to give you some context as to at least my understanding as why, why we might have gotten to this point without a standalone chapter on eligibility. Because AB 3121 asks us to deal with the question of eligibility as it relates to compensation. Who are we giving money to? And that's what we decided on. And that's what the recommendations, you know, really do bear out. So I just want to clarify that. Everybody knows where I stand on the issue of eligibility. Everybody understands where I, where I am on the question of recognition. But I just, from a procedural standpoint, from, a, from, from the vantage point of the history of how we've kind of moved from meeting to meeting, right, I think that there was an underlying understanding that what we're talking about is eligibility as it relates to compensation. At last meeting, I asked the DOJ, and I followed up in email, I think maybe a day after or two days after the deadline, uh, you know, but to make sure that that is more clearly stated. I would agree, and I think there was comments in the public comment section this morning, that what I asked for at last meeting and what I asked for in the email perhaps were not adequately responded to and so I think you know if the DOJ can maybe speak to how we might better declaratively and with respect and recognition identify and recognize the eligible community as we are asked to do in relationship to AB 3121's mandate that would be really helpful and then we can maybe decide what we need to do in terms of further recognizing the community of eligibility because it does need to be clear I completely agree it needs to be very clear and it needs to be clear that what we're talking about, when we're talking about eligibility, we're talking about compensation and we're talking about beneficiary-driven policies and programs. Those things are for the eligible community. So that needs to be clear. And so if we can maybe get clarification from the DOJ as to how, within the limits that we're, we're working with, because we are working in, with, with limits, and, you know, and you're right. Maybe we can come back tomorrow. Uh, no. But... <laughs> I live up the street, so you know. Um, but, I, but, but seriously though, I think it would be helpful if, we could, if you can maybe tell us what that could look like, and then we could see if we would be satisfied with that, and then we could actually make a motion with, really, with, with, with clarity and with hopefully consensus about how to respect and recognize this community that we've long established is the community eligibility based upon lineage and descent. So, yes.
absolutely and obviously this has been a subject of conversation substantial conversation for the last three meetings substantial across both the monetary components and the policy components so from the last meeting based on your feedback to this meeting from the last version of the report to the final version of the report we have done a number of things to emphasize specifically feedback on a number of the different policy proposals where we made very clear essentially descendants first in many cases descendants only and made very clear that those even policies that are applicable to the entire general public the intent is that they directly beneficially impact descendants first when I use the term descendants I'm using it as defined by the task force's vote on March 29th 22 so we've upped that across the entire policy section in the section on financial compensation chapter 17 we also included a number of different references I think looking at it now especially in the light of this conversation I think we can do more and I think to member Montgomery steps point that that is the eligibility conversation and so I have sort of as the conversation has been progressing put together a little draft of a sort of a paragraph that I can read to everybody I don't have it on the slide because I've just been putting together but it's essentially a conclusion to the into the chapter 17 bringing the entire chapter together that the title of the subheading is conclusion and recommendation regarding monetary compensation for the eligible class the discussion is as follows as set forth in this chapter even limited to the relatively few categories of harms that the task force found to be calculable the immense nature of the loss is significant this loss must be compensated with monetary payments as set forth in this chapter to those who suffered the loss the task force reiterates its recommendation that however the legislature ultimately determines to make monetary payments for these losses those monetary payments should be restricted to the african-american descendants of a chattel enslaved person or descendants of a free black person living in the United States prior to the end of the 19th century members of the eligible class as defined by the task force and so that's a basically a synthesis of the data how it translates and a very strong statement that that is the intent of the task force okay I have a question go ahead member scholar would you recognize so so thank you for that and so I was going having having heard that I wanted to know from from my colleagues what else do we think is missing what right I mean and I want us to have this conversation because I think there is there is again right if we say that this is if, if we if we can agree ultimately that this is an appropriate place to make that kind of statement and commentary then I think we can within the limits of of time and capacity and authority say as much as we want to say about eligibility within this already established and voted on chapter on compensation meaning so that that could be a starting point for the discussion around an elaboration on eligibility and so what I want I mean and this may even incorporate what you were saying earlier chair Moore about 
moving the, the section from the comparative models of reparations into, the, into the, the eligibility discussion, meaning we could have a much more robust chapter, but that chapter will still be tying the issue of eligibility to compensation. That's what AB 3121 asked us to do. And so the question I think I have for discussion here is what more um, would we want the discussion on eligibility to say? And I agree that it should say more. So I, I, I think that, there need, again, there needs to be an independent chapter. In that mm -hmm. chapter would be a background on you know, the history of the reparations movement in the United States, which is inherently based on lineage. When you think about people who are already referenced in that section, like Belinda Sutton, like Hallie House, like Queen Mother Ali Moore, who created the uh, Reparations Committee for Descendants of American Slaves, to Malcolm X. These are already people referenced in our report in that particular section on the history of the reparations movement in the United States. That will serve as the or that could serve as the introduction for the standalone eligibility chapter. After that section, which again already exists, it's just in a misplaced section. It's in the international framework section right now, which is really awkward, right? That be moved to the eligibility chapter, and then the rest of the chapter will be a description of our decision. So chronicling that 10-month-long debate capturing all sides of the issue, right? Capturing all sides of task force members' opinions about the issue, capturing all sides of the personal expert testimony on the issue, and then the conclusion, thanks Michael, uh, Attorney Newman for typing that up during the break, that's not necessarily sufficient, but I think it serves as a good first step, right? The last part of that chapter will provide a rationale for our decision why the task force voted in favor of lineage. So in awe to answer your question, Member Jovan Scott Lewis, the first part of the standalone section will be a background of the history of lineage-based reparations movement, which again already exists in our final draft. It's just in the international reparations framework section. The second part of the chapter will provide a comprehensive overview or description of the 10-month-long debate that culminated into the majority of task force members voting to affirm lineage-based reparations. And the conclusion will provide a rationale for why we decided to affirm lineage-based reparations. Thank you, Chair Moore. Any other members of the task force have, I mean, to have a response to my question about? I have a, a question, though, because that's something that I wanted to raise in the, the um, part five of the agenda item, because the sentence that Member Tamaki read, while recommending that monetary reparations be limited to the eligible class, the task force recognizes that the five pillars of reparations and AB 3121 required that it also endeavor to ensure cumulative harms of the past four centuries do not continue to be visited upon living African Americans and on society in California and the United States. At the same time, many recommendations cannot be implemented only for descendants and must instead be framed to benefit the larger community of African American Californians or even all Californians. Um, that sentence I was going to advocate actually needs to be deleted because that actually represents the motion after reading through all the meeting minutes from the past two years that sentence 
reflects the motion that failed. That represents the motion that failed when we were having our community of eligibility discussion. The motion that passed was, and I quote, Member Lewis moved to define that the community of eligibility for reparations, it didn't distinguish monetary from other forms. It says, Member Lewis moved to define that the community of eligibility for reparations be based on lineage, determined by an individual being an African-American descendant of a chattel enslaved person or a descendant of a free black person living in the United States prior to the end of the 19th century. Member Montgomery Steps seconded the motion. The motion that failed was as follows. This is on page 10 and 11 of the March 2022 minutes. Member Holder moved to amend the motion to define the community of eligibility to be consistent with the 2.6 million African Americans in the state of California with an understanding that there will be special lineage considerations determined by an individual being an African American descendant of a child enslaved person or the descendant of a free black person living in the United States prior to 1900. So again, to conclude, that sentence around in our final report that the California DOJ inputted, where it says, while recommending that monetary reparations be limited to the eligible class, the task force recognized such and such, and that recommendations cannot be implemented only for descendants and must go to all black people and even all Californians, that's actually not what the task force voted for. That motion failed. We voted that all forms of reparations under international law, compensation, restitution, rehabilitation, satisfaction, and guarantees of non-repetition will be aimed to the descendants. And the California DOJ at our last hearing <laughs> said they would do their due diligence in part five with these policy prescriptions to clearly identify how each of the policy prescriptions would benefit descendants. They did not do that, as we just discussed. So a compromise, <laughs> again, would be, and we'll get to that when, that when that part of the agenda comes, that needs to be deleted again because that represents the failed motion. Um, but going back to um, the item at hand, um, we need to be clear that all forms of reparations under international law are for, are for African Americans under the community of eligibility. And that policy section needs to remain there, but we need to ensure and, 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 and show that that section is not reparations. Um, Dr. Julianne Malveaux in Palm Springs um, said very eloquently that good public policy is not reparations. So all of those policy prescriptions is good, but it's not reparations, and so there needs to be some separations, so not to confuse the reader. Okay, so I mean, I, I think we've kind of we've moved, we've made several moves, you know, um, in in the past several minutes. So I mean, I, I think so we have we can discuss your 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 point, you know, when we get to section, um, when we get to discussing part five, but. Um, you know, we, we jumped to talking about the eligibility question as a way of satisfying your, your views, Chair Moore, on the matter of international operations framework. And so what I was trying to get us to do was to kind of see if we can, you know, answer that question on eligibility, but I don't think that we can in this, in this action item. So because of that, I'm going to move that we approve 
um, you know, part two, international reparations framework and examples of the reparations uh, schemes uh, as, as it has been presented. Before we do that, Vice Chair Brown had to be recognized. Re Vice Chair Brown, you're recognized. Member Scott Lewis, you're recognized. Thank you, Chair Moore. So, again, I move that we approve uh, action item number six, uh, part two of the final recommendations, international reparations framework and examples of other reparation schemes. Is there a second? Okay, it has been properly moved by um, Member Scott Lewis and properly seconded by Member Holder that we approve reading it, action, a final discussion, um, international reparations framework, and examples of other reparation schemes. Is there any discussion on the matter? Yes, Senator Bradford, you're recognized. Language that Mr. Newman suggested. That's that's not what I was motioning. You're not making that motion. Okay, no. I'm, I'm, all right. And, and the discussion and the reason why, if I can okay. recognize, all right. All right. is I that I think there are appropriate there are there are appropriate action items for us to discuss what we've been discussing. You know, the question of eligibility, where to put it, um, and the the questions that Chair Moore has about I think it's part five. So I'm just I'm I just motion to approve um, what what's there currently. What we have right now. Yeah. For part two. Okay, so my question is, are you saying that the section on the history of the <coughs> reparations movement in the United States yeah. should stay in that section? Yeah, and, there's a, and, 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 and aside, aside from the, the conversation about eligibility and part five, um, I, want, I, I actually do want, and prior to us having this prolonged conversation that we just had, I do think that we should leave the discussion around African-American reparations as a part of the international uh, reparations framework uh, chapter because it provides an appropriate um, relationship between what we are doing with these already existing and already recognized as legitimate forms of reparations as they have existed and have been successful um, in, in, you know, in, in many contexts globally. So to separate that, I think actually creates a, a distance between what we're doing and what has been recognized as being legitimately done in the past. And so I think it's important to create a kind of logic of continuity behind international cases and what we're doing um, in California so that hopefully, um, which is my view, that we can go on to support the federal movement for reparations in this country. Uh, okay, so a follow-up question is, uh, where are you suggesting that we have a conversation, a potential motion around an, an independent chapter on eligibility? Um, when we get to the, the chapter on compensation, because I, 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 do, I still do um, make the argument that AB 3121 links eligibility to compensation, and so therefore in the chapter on compensation there would be, to my mind, a logical delinking um, at that point or a development beyond that linkage between the two things. So we can talk about that, but when we get, when we get to, to that section, to that part. Thank you. Any other questions, discussion on the matter? Hearing none, I'll turn to Parliamentarian Johnson for a roll call vote. Uh, to approve the final report part two as presented. 
Uh, with Chair Moore? Aye. Chair Moore votes aye. Vice Chair Brown? Aye. Vice Chair Brown votes aye. Member Bradford? Aye. Member Bradford votes aye. Member Grills? Aye. Member Grills votes aye. Member Holder? Aye. Member Holder votes aye. Member Joan Sawyer? Aye. Member Joan Sawyer votes aye. Member Lewis? Aye. Member Lewis votes aye. Member Step? I'm sorry, Montgomery Step. Member Montgomery Step votes aye. And Member Tamaki? Aye. Member Tamaki votes aye. Madam Chair, there are nine members present in voting. On the main motion, there are nine ayes and zero nays. Thank you. There are nine ayes, zero nays, and so the ayes have it, and the motion carries. Um, so now uh, the next item on the agenda is uh, item number eight. Uh, before we do so, I'm not sure if she's still here, but I wanted to recognize Oakland Councilwoman Treva Reed. Thank you for coming. So the next item on the agenda is um, communication item, communications advisory committee comments and communications firm implementation updates and outcomes. Presenters, member Lewis, Bradford, and Charles group representatives. You recognize him. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Um, so the Charles Communications Group uh, sends their apologies for not being able to attend uh, this meeting. So Senator Bradford and I, as the Communications Advisory Group um, for the task force in liaison with uh, Charles Communications Group, will present uh, their updates on their behalf. So I believe is there a, there's not a presentation up there, so I don't need it, just in case. All right, I'm just going to read. So the Charles Communications Group sends this report of notable activities um, since last meeting. Um, there's a note that the media requests have substantially increased with the approach of the May uh, 6, today's Reparations Task Force meeting. Um, this trend, it is argued, will continue as the final report's delivery on June 30th uh, approaches. Interview requests and published articles have focused on reparation compensation amounts. Um, in spite of the task force's decision uh, to not deliver a sum. Uh, and this is in particular to the, the, the recent media um, reporting on the reparations amount of $1.2 million. Uh, there's been an increased um, interest in getting task force members' opinion on, on this amount and the rationale behind it. The Charles Communication Group has coordinated with the Communications Committee, which is myself and um, um, Member Bradford and the DOJ to uh, approve uh, responses to these inquiries on behalf of the task force. Uh, attributed comments to the task force members are being discussed with and approved by the, uh, the members prior to sharing them with the media, meaning with Senator Bradford and myself. The Charles Communication Group is continuing to pitch task force uh, member media opportunities on a statewide and national level. Um, so what that looks like is seeking opportunities for us to speak to the media and to engage in activities both across the state and across the nation. 
There are two reparations task force flyers that have begun distribution to organizations, government entities, and elected officials. The task force will receive the flyers uh, following uh, this meeting, today's meeting. A public service announcement has been created for statewide broadcast. Uh, a commercial was created, uh, narrated uh, by Senator Bradford. I heard it's very wonderful. Uh, I haven't seen it, but you know, Bradford is, you know, Impressive. Uh, the, okay, and so Charles Communication Group also provided reparations task force update to elected officials across the state. Uh, as far as April activities, specifically, the Charles Communication Group uh, booked and coordinated media interviews for task force members, conducted media outreach uh, for Mills College today's uh, public hearing conducted media coaching and provided messaging and talking points to task force members, wrote and coordinated the production of the Reparations Task Force commercial, again narrated by Senator Bradford, coordinated the uh, production of the public service announcement for KJLH specifically. Um, and looking forward, there are plans to coordinate and manage future and further media opportunities to continue the distribution of task force information sheets to identify opportunities to collaborate with community organizations, to support task force uh, activities and update the documents that we request for our own presentations as needed, and developing post-task force communication um, activities including collaborations, social media, and a landing page, the, I guess, for some kind of website. Um, and there is uh, some planning uh, underway to pitch to the media um, the kind of impact of the uh, import of our final report. Okay, that's the that's the update. Thank you. Any comments, questions? Hearing none, we'll turn to the next item on the agenda. Item number nine, uh, final discussion and vote on the full final report, part three. Recommendations of the task force as to how the state of California will offer a formal apology on behalf of the people of California for the perpetration of gross human rights violations and crimes against humanity on African slaves and their descendants. Entertain a motion to approve, amend. There has been a motion properly moved by Member Tamaki and properly uh, seconded by Vice Chair Brown uh, to um, approve uh, the action item number nine, which is, again, um, recommendation of the task force as how the state of California will offer a formal apology on behalf of the people of California for the perpetration of gross human rights violations and crimes against humanity on African slaves and their descendants. Is there any discussion on the matter? Uh, Member Groves, you're recognized. Um, I'd just like to offer a, a couple of just very minor um, edit and suggestions for that chapter. On page two, the paragraph beginning in June 2019, the last line, it should be or any other form of reparation instead of of. Oh, that was a very minor. 
Um, but on page nine, the last bullet talks about African-American physicians are underrepresented in California. And if that could just be expanded to say African-American physicians, psychologists, and psychiatrists are underrepresented in California's um, met, uh, health, in health, medical and health fields or something like that. That's uh, page nine. And then um, the last thing is, uh, is it possible, I don't know if this would be on page 10, somewhere on page 9 or 10, um, if there could be a statement or a clause added that says an intensive communication, communi community education strategy for the state related to the apology um, occur so that people are aware, because most people don't know about the federal apologies, um, so they came and went and with no fanfare, so there should be some community education about that. That was it. Thank you. Any other comments, questions, additions, changes? Okay, hearing none, we'll turn to Parliamentarian Johnson for a roll call vote, and the vote would be to approve um, essentially um, this section with the changes that Dr. Grills mentioned. Thank you. I will begin on the vote with Chair Moore. Aye. Chair Moore votes aye. Vice Chair Brown? Aye. Vice Chair Brown votes aye. Member Bradford? I'm sorry, sir. Aye. Member Bradford votes aye. Member Grills? Aye. Member Grills votes aye. Member Holder? Aye. Member Holder votes aye. Member Jones-Sawyer? Aye. Member Jones-Sawyer votes aye. Member Lewis? Aye. Member Lewis votes aye. Member Montgomery-Stepp? Member Montgomery-Stepp votes aye. Member Tamaki? Aye. Member Tamaki votes aye. Madam Chair, there are nine members uh, present in voting on the motion. There are nine ayes, zero nays, and no abstentions. Thank you, Parliamentarian Johnson. There are nine ayes, zero nays, and no abstentions. The ayes have it, and the motion carries. Uh, we'll now turn to the next item on the agenda, which is item number 10. Final discussion and vote on the full final report, part four. Recommendations of task force regarding calculations of reparations and forms of compensation and restitution. So the, um, as it stands right now um, in this section, um, the economists and the public policy experts um, reference the Freeman Affairs Agency uh, throughout that particular section as that will be the agency that will be um, essentially uh, fielding inquiries and eligibility for reparations in its various forms. 
Um, and so right now the Freeman Affairs Agency proposal is in part five. Uh, so it would be most appropriate if the Freeman Affairs Agency is um, moved from part five and into part four. So looking to entertain a motion. Again, that's a, a small minor change as well. We actually we don't even really need a motion for that. Um, to move the Freeman Affairs Agency um, section to part four. Are there any other changes for that section? That's my question to um, Member Scott Lewis. Are you saying that the potential, um, you know, the eligibility discussion would be in part four? Is that what you're saying? Thank you, Chair Mark. So what I was, you know, so what I was saying earlier is that um, and then this was prompted by Member Montgomery's question about how we got to the point where we didn't have a separate um, eligibility chapter. Um, you know, my my explanation, you know, based upon my own assumptions, really, and I guess my own view, was that eligibility, the question of eligibility, as put forward in AB 3121, was very directly asked in relationship to compensation. Um, so that was just the answer. And so what I was proposing in my earlier motion to, to, you know, to approve a, a previous section um, was that I think now is an appropriate time to then have the conversation about um, the eligibility question as you posed it earlier. Um, and so my view, given the limitations meaning the, the, the practical limitations on, on having to get this done um, in a matter of weeks. The idea of a chapter, I don't know, but it sounds like from the DOJ, the creation of a new chapter and the required procedure of drafting that new chapter, getting feedback from the task force on that chapter, then voting on that chapter, would be infeasible given our timeline. My question to both my colleagues and the DOJ was really, could we satisfy the need to robustly, respectfully, adequately define eligibility as you were asking for it to be defined, Chair Moore, within the compensation chapter? Because I think there's a distinction between there needing to be a separate chapter and needing for us to respect the definition of eligibility as fully defined. Um, so that was kind of it. So, you know, that was the question. And I think, you know, uh, you know uh, Attorney Newman, you know, provided, I think, a beginning, you know, a, a quick rough draft of how that expansion on defining eligibility could work. My question is, my question was to, the, to my colleagues, what more would we want reflected in that definition, right? So there's a history that you were talking about, Chair Moore. I think that could go in there, right? I think, you know, 
we can talk about me i don't know what's i don't know what's within the limits and so i'm trying to i'm trying to strike a balance here between what we can do procedurally and what we need to do to kind of fully flesh out the the kind of definitional terms of eligibility um, what I would say is that whatever the answer is, I want to respect fully defining eligibility. I mean, that, I mean that's fairly consistent on my part. That's why I asked for further, uh, and, 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 and again, more, a, a more declarative statement last meeting. I asked for it again in my follow-up recommendations as we were or, sorry, um, asked to provide by the deadline. Um, and so that's the question. I think what we could do is obviously um, Attorney Newman has presented a framework of what we think based on the information that was provided today would elevate the issue of eligibility in that chapter. Um, if there are other thoughts and ideas, certainly we could share them today and then we could continue to work with the legislative staff as we're finalizing the report to elevate that um, in this current section. Um, as things are today, drafting a new section from scratch would not be feasible for us. We simply don't have the time uh, to uh, draft it, to provide 10 days notice for this task force to meet again, to approve it based on our publishing deadlines in order to meet the statutory deadline of June 30th. We, we don't want to risk all of the work of this task force being for naught if we don't make that June 30th deadline. So the most that we could do is take and synthesize any information that's provided today, work with the legislative staff as we finalize the report to elevate uh, what we have um, in, within the structure that we have. Ch Chema? You're recognized. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Attorney Brown. So, and, and so what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm trying to ask for is not necessarily the drafting of a new section, but is it not within our capabilities today to say, well, there is already right, language around eligibility in Part 4, Chapter 17 that can be expanded on significantly? I mean, do we, can we not just do it now? You know, and that's why I asked my colleagues, what else? do you want reflected in the conversation on eligibility? Because I think it might be within the scope for us to maybe in real time expand upon that and clarify that definition and make it very, you know, not just clear, but explicit. And again, this is what I asked for last time, right? Um, and that's what was in the email. So I'm thinking, I'm, I'm not asking for a new chapter, I'm not asking for a new section, but can we adequately define eligibility within the compensation chapter, meaning within chapter 17. Now, yeah. Like you can expand upon it, and the way that you can do it is by saying today what yeah. you would like to see. Yeah. You're saying adequately, and, and, I, and the reason why I'm hedging on that it's is because, because you all have to determine what's adequate, and, and that's not up to us. So yeah. it has to be subject to the legislative staff of, of Senator Bradford, Senator Jones-Sawyer, and us as we try to reconcile what is talked about today. Right. But there's not going to be an opportunity beyond that to do anything different. So meaning, could one of us right now sit here, draft something, motion for it to be included, 
in chapter 17 and then we vote and debate and pass it and it's included and it's done. As long as you get it done before they kick us out of this auditorium. What time are you kicking us out? <laughs> 9 o'clock? We're done at 6. Done at 6? All right. I mean, so that's why I'm really asking the question, right? What can we, what do we want to say? added language capture what we're trying to do here and as we move forward with the editorial process and the motion that was made earlier would allow them a little bit more leeway to better define that if there's more to be added versus trying to wordsmith it right now Well, he's asking a question, if it would. I was yeah. asking a question. Would, Can you put it in the would, would, He's asking a question. He wants to know if we think it would be, if it's adequate. Is the language that Attorney Newman provided, you know, about a half hour ago, adequate to address the concerns? I mean, the question. I mean, yeah. writing it up during lunch, is that really... Well, we don't I have mean, time. We don't. I'm, I'm trying to tell you, we're up well, against the well, clock. Well, meaning, let, like, you know, the point is that the actual motion for eligibility was written, like, you know, it was a motion. We didn't draft eligibility and then send around drafts and, and debate it and then vote on it. It was a motion, and we got we got to the terms of eligibility that passed through the process of motioning and voting on it. And so what I'm saying is that we can perhaps expand, you know, this definition of eligibility. Not even expand. Not expand. Not expand. But better define. Better define this, this definition of eligibility through this process. And, and that's why I was saying, so we have some language that's already here, right? Because it's important to note, and for those, you know, who might be interested, chapter 17 is titled Final Recommendations of Task Force Regarding Calculations of Losses to African-American Descendants of a Chattel Enslaved Person or Descendants of a Free Black Person Living in the United States Prior to the End of the 19th Century and Forms of Compensation and Restitution. So the eligibility is baked in, but I think what we're missing and what, and what I said we were missing from last meeting was a very clear statement of eligibility, and, and that's what I think we heard in public comment. I think that's what Chair Moore is asking for. I think that's what Member Montgomery Stepp is asking for, is a very clear statement of who we are talking about. And I think Chair Moore is asking for us to further state why. And so what I'm asking is, can we do that through a motion, have it included within Chapter 17, which talks about compensation, which I would argue is appropriate, because AB 3121 asks us to talk about eligibility in terms of compensation. And so that way we can respect the much-needed clarification, recognition, representation of the eligible community, and also respect the DOJ's timeline for getting this done. So that's what I'm trying to get at. It is for the people. Well, you know, the issue is that the issue is that when AB 3121 was was put into a, a bill and was passed, AB 3121 came with a deadline. 
So we cease to exist on June 30. Meaning you will see me on the street and I'm just Javon. <laughs> Don't ask for no picture. It won't be worth anything. And so there is a real issue here, which is that if we don't get this thing done, it's not done. And so what I'm asking for is if we can get it done the right way in the right time. And yes, Member Montgomery Step is right. right. We should have done this better earlier. It's on us. Full stop. And I think there's a reason why it wasn't done earlier. That's fine. But here is where we are. And so... What I want is for us to do this right in the right time or the necessary time. Right? It's not the right time, necessary time. And so I'm asking us to say, because if we're quiet now, right. you said something earlier, Dr. Brown, about silence. It's that. So if we're quiet now, that means you're good with what we got. And then if that's the case, then we vote, and then it, it is what it is. Hey, Attorney Newman, can you read the paragraph? Sure. Uh, this is the very end of Chapter 17. Um, the paragraph, the, the header is uh, Part 4, Conclusion and Recommendation Regarding Monetary Compensation for the Eligible Class. Uh, this, the discussion is, as set forth in this chapter, even limited to the relatively few categories of harms that the task force found to be calculable, the immense nature of the loss is significant. This loss must be compensated with monetary payments as set forth in this chapter to those who suffered the loss. The task force reiterates its recommendation that, however the legislature ultimately determines to make monetary payment for these losses, those monetary payments should be restricted to African-American descendants of a chattel enslaved person or descendants of a free black person living in the United States prior to the end of the 19th century members of the eligible class as defined by the task force. No, it's not. No, that's not. That's not the, the right language because, again, that expresses the motion that failed. We didn't, in March 2022, decide that only uh, monetary reparations would go to descendants and all other forms of reparations under international law will go to all folks. That's not what we decided. And the way that's written, it's written to say that, again, um, we decided that monetary repar reparations would go to just descendants and all other forms would go to everyone else. That's not what we decided. So in, as a, in terms of a compromise, I think we can work with that, but monetary needs to be excluded. It need, or it needs to say, we decided, again, it needs to reflect the decision that we made in March 2022, that um, you know, all forms of reparations, including monetary reparations, are to be for the eligible class, as defined in March 2022. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, you cannot, you cannot speak from the audience. You cannot speak from the audience. Please. This is a deliberation of the panel. So again, the, the way that that paragraph is written, again, that is a reflection of the motion that failed in March 2022. 
again, when you read the statute, AB 3121, yes, it asks us to, to determine who's going to be eligible for compensation. But again, we, through our 5-4 decision, so we're not relitigating it here today, unless you guys want to relitigate that. But we already decided in March 2022 that all forms of reparations, including monetary reparations, would go to the, the community of eligibility. So we can use your paragraph, but it needs to be modified to say all forms of reparations, including monetary reparations, goes to the community of eligibility. And that way, then you'll just change the title of this section and include, and it'll just say forms of compensation and restitution, comma, satisfaction, rehabilitation, and guarantees of non-repetition. You keep that paragraph, change it to say all forms of reparations, including monetary reparations, goes to the community of eligibility. And then you pull up the Freeman Affairs Agency from part five, and you put it in part four, and then we're done. Okay, so hearing no pushback, um, again, what I'm stating is part four, chapter 17, you update the title, to say forms of compensation, restitution, satisfaction, rehabilitation, guarantees of non-repetition. You put the Freeman Affairs Agency into that section, so moving from part five, and then you use that paragraph that you just mentioned, and you can leave it at the end, but change it to say all forms of reparations, including monetary reparations, goes to the community of eligibility. Is that good? Everyone satisfied? I don't. I haven't heard a motion. As stated by you. I move. That's my motion. Is there a second? I'll restate the motion. The motion is to amend Part 4, Chapter 17. One, amend it to change the title to include satisfaction, guarantees of non-repetition and rehabilitation. So the full title would be Final Recommendations of Task Force Regarding Calculations of Losses to African-American Descendants of a Chattel Enslaved Person or Descendants of a Free Black Person Living in the United States Prior to the End of 19th Century and forms of compensation, restitution, rehabilitation, satisfaction, and guarantees of non-repetition. So it will be amended to change the title. The second amendment would, to be, would be to move up the Freeman Affairs Agency into Part 4 from Part 5, since Part 4 references the agency. And then the third amendment would be to include the paragraph that Michael Newman is stating but a change the paragraph to say all forms of reparations, including monetary compensation, goes to the community of eligibility. If that's the motion, it needs to be framed as a motion for reconsideration, and then we can vote on it. Motion for reconsideration provide a rationale for that? 
the rationale is that it is a motion for reconsideration because you have changed and the definitions that were previously agreed upon, so it's a motion for reconsideration. So frame it as such and let's take the vote. But what have I changed? Respectfully, Member Holder, what definitions have I changed? Yeah, this would be rescinding the votes that we previously took, establishing the organization of the chapters. So it's fine. It's fine. It's doable. Just, uh, just frame it properly as a motion for reconsideration, and let's take the vote. The, the movement of the, the Freedmen's Bureau itself. And, uh, the and, yeah. and adding restitution and all that. Right. Okay. Chair Moore? You're recognized. You're recognized. Thank you. So, so what I was trying to, what I was trying to do in the first instance is one, get a fully worked out terms of eligibility very declaratively stated in this chapter, chapter 17, around compensation. Um, I think that I think that what you're asking for is clarification um, around what we're calling reparations and for whom these reparations are being provided. You're asking for that to be done through restructuring of the chapters, meaning taking things from another chapter, bringing it into this chapter, and then restructuring the chapter. And so I think that's what member holder is, why member holder is asking for the, is it called a rescission? Okay, thank you. Um, and so if that's what you want to do, that's what, that's what she's saying you have to do. Um, and I think that's what Parliamentary Johnson is also saying would have to be done. I do think there's another way, which is that when we, when we get to the appropriate part where we're talking about the policies, that we can there also restate the terms of eligibility. So we can talk about eligibility in the compensation chapter, meaning chapter 17, part 4, and then we can specify eligibility in uh, part five. What I would just say is that when I followed up with my comments uh, for revisions as we were directed to do, I requested that we should state that the recommendations for reparations are explicitly identified for the community of eligibility and that reparation should be understood as direct compensation and beneficiary-driven policies and programs. That, to my mind, is reparations. There are other policies that we are recommending because AB 3121 asks us to think about bad policies in the state of California and fixing them. Let's understand, everybody, why there are some recommendations for compensation and there are other recommendations that are not compensation. When the economics group looked at the 12 areas that the task force defined, determined and defined as the areas of harms 
they did an earnest uh, uh, assessment of what was calculable. How could we identify and calculate the losses that this community uh, experienced? And the direct compensation are based upon those areas. There are other areas that were un we were unable to provide a methodology for direct compensation. And in lieu of direct compensation, we made recommendations as a task force for policies and programs. So what that means is that reparations here looks like two things. In part, it looks like direct compensation, and it also looks like policies and programs. Both of those are meant to be directed towards the eligible community. There are other policies and recommendations, again, that are a separate concern, which is to remedy the wickedness, <laughs> right, if I can just put it that way. And so what I'm, what I'm basically trying, and I, and I provide that as a kind of you know, context for what I'm trying to suggest here, which is that there is, I think, appropriate scope for us to clarify that there are policies that are directed to the descendant community, the eligible community and there is compensation directed to the eligible community. And so what I'm asking is if we can do that within the scope of what we have. In addition to that, I do believe that we need to better define the community of eligibility in a way, in the way that Chair Moore was asking us to, right? Which is to say, here is the community of eligibility. Here is who they are, right? Here's who we decided deserves reparations as defined. And so I'm just saying I think we can do that in part four, and I think we could do that also in part five. And, I, and, I, and I'm making this as a suggestion, hoping that it doesn't require rescission and it doesn't require a whole bunch of work from anybody. And I want to hopefully think that we can do it before Asa, Damon, 6 o'clock. Uh, and I kind of, I kind of think that we might be able to, and I'm just wondering if we can. Okay. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. Member Montgomery, step. You're recognized. Thank you. What, what about? So, Chair Moore, when? First of all, let me just say procedurally. I, I don't think that that would require a rescission or reconsideration for m literally moving um, a part of the report to another report, another part of the report. Like, I just don't. Um, but if that's the, the way we go, and if that is what the procedure that we decide on, okay. I just want to ask Chair Moore, what is the, I guess, purpose of putting the agency piece with the compensation piece, if you could explain that a little bit more. So um, in part four, uh, the Freedman Affairs Agency is referenced uh, throughout uh, the agency. Uh, this particular section, uh, for instance, it states 
The task force recommends a specific entity, uh, uh, potentially the recommended California American Freeman Affairs Agency be charged with processing these claims of compensation and rendering payment in an efficient and timely manner. Um, also, another reference to the agency is as follows in part four. Informed by the economic, economists, the task force recommends that the legislature establish an agency to make direct payments to eligible recipients and aid recipients with establishing eligibility. This is preferable to an indirect approach where the agency oversees the distribution of resources through nonprofit community organizations. The, these recommendations are reflected in chapters 18 through 30 of this report where the task force offers policy recommendations for the legislature to remedy injuries to California's African-American population. So this, again, this is written by the economists and the public policy experts right. where they themselves are saying that this agency would um, control um, you know, areas of compensation and restitution, and that's preferable over some of the other policies that are listed in the other chapters in the report. So since the agency is mentioned throughout this particular section, I think it would just read better um, if you move the agency to this section. Um, they go hand in hand, essentially, is my argument. Okay. The agency, though, um, covers a large amount of the way that it's presented now. It covers a large amount. It has a large responsibility um, and, and not just the compensatory part. So I agree with you that the additional um, kind of arms of, of reparations should be added to compensation and restitution. I don't think outside of a reference in this chapter that states the agency is further explained or fully explained in, the, you know, chapter 18, I believe it is, um, would that be sufficient? Because I don't know if moving the, you know, the explanation of the agency up into this, this portion that really focuses on just compensation is, um, is accomplishing what I think we, we wanted to. So I, I just, that for, for thought. Because the other two, I think if we voted on the other two recommendations, it would not bring up this rescission conversation. I think what's bringing that up is the, the moving of parts. So I mean, I guess that, that could be handled separately so we can, you know, you know, separated out, so to speak, in terms of discussing or taking together the ones that may not trigger, you know, an extra procedural step in terms of an extra motion to take. Um, and I, I do just for just for um, adding to the conversation, we are at the point where, where the rubber meets the road, and we never fully, I think resolved the issue of using that the United United Nations definition of reparations in the five different parts for the community of eligibility. Um, now we're parsing it out and there's a belief that it should only be the community of eligibility should only be referenced with compensation and restitution but that's not been our understanding the whole time in these last two years. That's been, not been my understanding. 
And that's why. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.